going on? Broke ass investor back making another car podcast. So again, excuse the noise, but hopefully it's not too bad and I can talk over it. Um, so anyway, yeah, I've been slacking on podcasts. I've been slacking on YouTube, but you know, the holidays are a freaking disaster. There's always something going on and there's never time. Wah, wah, wah. So luckily, you know, people reach out to me on my, uh, Instagram and they do mention that they do enjoy the podcast and or the YouTube. So I did a YouTube yesterday, um, also called The Broke Investor on my YouTube channel. And today I'll do a podcast. Why the hell not? Um, if you don't follow me on Instagram, by the way, it's the underscore broke underscore investor. Uh, that's where I'm most active. So uh, I like to share my journey, my dividend investing journey, along with a lot of other journeys. But primary focus is how I plan to invest in dividends for the long term and hopefully retire and live off of them. That being said, today's video um, will be about what do I really look at as far as stock price? Like, what do I consider, when do I consider it a good buy? When do I consider a certain stock to be a good buy? Uh, to, to either, you know, get in um, or to buy additional shares of. So first, let me start out with that's not the hard part. The hard part is finding the companies that you're going to trust or that you do trust now and hopefully for the long term. Obviously, there, it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of research to find the right companies that you believe will, you know, as a dividend investor, will not only pay you dividends now and forever and also increase that dividend, but just a company that will handle any storms thrown its way, um, any recession, any competition, you know, a company that has, you know, not necessarily has been through it, but that helps, but, you know, a company that you think can be around at least for your lifetime. So, obviously, like I said, that's the hard part. You have to go through balance sheets, income statements, research the company, blah, 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 but that's that's ongoing, that's forever. But anyway, once you find a company that you know, okay, I'm going to invest in this company now and for the long term, then the easy part comes, and that's buying the stock. But, of course, lately, it's been a bull market, and it's been a bull market for a long time. Um, you know, the last couple of years, the, the market's just been going up and up and up. And I've heard it, year, you know, a few years back as well. I'm going to wait until there's a market correction, okay? And then the next year comes. Oh, I'm still waiting for the market correction, okay? But what market correction? What are you waiting for? You can't time the market. If you're a long-term investor, stop waiting. Just get in and move on. The market not going to crash just because it's been up, you know, longer than history reflects. The economy's doing well, just get over it and go with it. You know what I mean? So that being said, when people see the bull market, 
they feel like all stocks are at an all-time high, which is actually true in a lot of cases. You know, the Microsoft, the Apples, uh, I think even Visa now, like, these stocks are at all-time highs. So it's really, really hard for you to start, not only to start a position, but to continue to add to the position when a company is at an all-time high. But on the flip side, you have to just think, like, just because it's at an all-time high does not mean it's going to go down in price. It could still be undervalued and be at an all-time high. So those are the kinds of things that, you know, you need to consider buying a stock. But anyway, what do I look at when I, you know, I'll say start an investment or add to the investment? So when I originally, I guess, when I start a position and in a stock, obviously I did the due diligence. I believe in the company. I'm all for the company. Now I just need to get a good price, right? Honestly, I really, that's not my biggest concern. Uh, so, in the beginning, what I was doing is just starting a position, meaning buy one to two shares, just so I have some money in the game, and it motivates me even more to keep an eye on that stock. But now, I'm kind of, you know, I'm a little more focused on getting a better deal, so I do look at the 52-week high, the 52-week low, I do look at that, I'm not going to lie, so if it's at a 52-week high, you know, it's, yeah, Obviously, I take that into consideration, but I'm also looking at, like, the last week, the the last three months, you know, is it down at this very moment, today, um, versus what it was at, and, you know, can it make a turnaround? Also, I'm looking at <clears throat> the five-year chart, which to see, like, has it been growing and making, you know... Um, pretty good average return year over year. Um, but keeping in mind, when you're a dividend investor, capital gains really does not mean crap. Um, because for me, I'm buying the stock and that money is basically gone. I'm never going to sell the stock. So if the price could double, the price could triple. And it can happen fast. And I still won't sell the stock. The reason I'm buying the stock is for the dividend, and that's it. I'm not buying it for capital gains. However, that being said, yes, I want to buy at a lower price because I want to get a better starting yield. Um, so, you know, the sooner you get a better starting yield, the greater your yield on costs will be, um, assuming they do raise their dividend. Or if they're a REIT like APLE or you know, some of the others that never increase their dividend, then your starting yield is your yield on cost forever. So, you know, I mean, like I said, I want to get a good deal, but I don't care that much. I really, I really don't care because 10, 20, 30 years from now, am I going to look back and say, damn, I should have bought that stock 50 cents cheaper or a dollar cheaper? No, I'm really not going to care. So don't dig too far into the numbers to, you know, focus too hard on getting the best price. If it's honest, if it's the company that you want to own, just buy the damn stock. 52-week high or not, who the hell cares? In 10 years, you're not going to care. You're going to regret, you know, 
not getting into the stock sooner because it could be at a 52-week high for a freaking year and you're still waiting. So I know I was doing that, I think, for McDonald's and uh, sure enough, you know, I waited too long. Um, and then they have, of course, a couple months ago, they had some bad news, which um, was after they freaking gave in and bought it. But, you know, that happens. Who cares? Stocks go up, they go down, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, when I make a new position, you know, I look at the 52-week high, 52-week low. I look at the three months. Um, and, obviously, the P.E. ratio. The P.E. ratio is very high. You need to check that out. Um, obviously, it's all the price-to-earnings ratio, um, comparing the price versus total earnings that they make so but again the PE ratio is really it's different you know per sector so you have to compare uh, the PE ratio is different you know for each different sector so anyway that's pretty much what I look at um, when I make a new position but when I'm buying uh, additional shares in a position I'm already in the first thing I look at is is the current stock price lower than my average stock price? And if it if it is, honestly, I'm I'm pretty much gonna buy it because I'm averaging down on a company that I want for the long term. Again, this is assuming I made the right choice in the company. People can make bad choices, so just because you invested in the company, um, if you did, if you find out that it was a stupid move, then get out of the stock. I know I say I don't sell the stock, but sure as hell I sell them if I know it was a mistake. And I have bought some disasters, um, bought some disasters in my lifetime, believe me. Lifetime being only two to three years at this point. But uh, but still, you make bad choices. So just because you start a position doesn't mean you can't get out. Loss or not, who gives a damn? If it's a bad investment and you learn that, you know, the sooner you get out, uh, the better. So anyway. Again, this is all assuming you investing in the company that you want to stay in, and this freaking traffic. Always freaking traffic. But, yeah, assuming that, then if you can average down, hell yeah, I'm in. But if the stock, again, is you'll be averaging up, then that, you know, it kind of hurts a little because you, you started that position at, you know, a great price, and you are up, which does feel good, but again, you got to keep in mind, capital gains or not, you just, you want that company, you want more of that company, you want more dividends from that company, so sometimes you do have to pay more, you have to pay a premium for a premium company, just because you got in at, you know, a better price a year ago, and you're like pissed off at yourself for not buying more, just get over it, average up, believe me, in time, the next year, this time next year, you won't regret it, so, it's all about, you know, you shouldn't live life regretting things, but still, like, just don't think that um, you should be waiting to buy into a company that you feel um, is not worth it just because it's at a high, but yeah, like I said, for existing positions, if I can average down, it's, to me, it's a no-brainer, uh, obviously, if it fits all of the other criteria, which, you know, um, I have a monthly dividend income goal, so I try to stick with that, and I try to um, buy companies that are not only diversified through sector, but diversified through payment methods, which, you know, 
again, it's not really recommended, but it keeps me, um, it keeps it keeps the fun, you know, fun and entertainment. I track it month to month. I have to have an increase in dividends. So obviously I'm doing that for not only fun, but I'm keeping in mind one day I'm going to retire and live off these dividends. So if I get the same monthly income, that's going to be very easy to manage. But yeah, I mean, like I said, you look at the P.E. ratio. Everyone looks at the P.E. ratio. You don't want that to be too damn high. The lower, the better, obviously. You know, you look at the 52-week low, 52-week high, and then you just check out, you know, the last month, the last three months, and see, okay, oh, it's at a dip. Last three months, although it's at a, you know, 52, freaking well, close to a 52-week high, for the three months, it's, it's down. So this could be a chance. Um, but, you know, again, if it's something that you're buying and holding for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, do you really care? I mean, don't get raped on the price, but are you really going to care then? I don't know. Just think of it that way, assuming you're a long-term, long-term dividend investor like me. So, anyway, that's my podcast for today. Um, I'd like to thank the people on Instagram for reaching out to me, uh, just telling you, Reminding me that people do listen to the podcast, so I have to keep up on it. And if you have any recommendations for additional podcast content, uh, please send me a message on Instagram, the underscore broke underscore investor again. Um, and if you hung around this long for the podcast, greatly appreciated. Um, so I'm out of here. Time to go to work. Later. Broke-ass investor back. Two podcasts in a row. This is amazing. Anyway, today's podcast, as you can see from the title, is about stupid car loans and why they're stupid. So, I speak from a lot of experience and many, many car loans. Um, So, unfortunately, I learned pretty damn late in life that car loans are stupid and are not necessary. But, you know, people going through life, everyday life nowadays, the perception is if you can afford the car loan payment, you can afford the car. But instead, we should be thinking if you can afford the car outright, you can afford the car, not just the stupid loan payment. Keep in mind, these loan payments are anywhere from four to now seven years, um, which is pretty damn ridiculous. It can take you that long, seven years, to pay off a car. Could you imagine what that car would even be like in seven years? If you'll even have that car, if it can survive seven years. So, when, you know, whether you're young or old, you have to rethink situation. Yes, I know it's nearly impossible to pay cash for a car, but you buy what you can afford. So if you have $5,000, you know, to put up front towards a car, your car should be $5,000. Obviously, you're not going to get what you want typically with $5,000, but you can get something that will get you by probably, you know, for a couple years, few years, while you save up for 
for a better car and so forth. So, you know, it's basically like you're building up to your dream car. Um, meanwhile, you'll have no car payment whatsoever. You know, 300, 400, 500, some, some have 600, who the hell knows? So imagine that amount alone that, you know, you're paying a lot in interest typically and <laughs> just saving that amount again towards whether it's a new car, whether it's your retirement, it doesn't matter. Um, but it, it's not like, but people just, you know, it, it's such a norm now to, to have a car loan. And again, if you're married, it's such a norm, unfortunately, to have two car loans, uh, which is unbelievable. And uh, yeah, I was in that situation. I had $750 in car loans per month, which, you know, pretty damn unbearable. But again, I thought it was normal until I got to the point where both car loans ended around the same time. Actually, I, I was paying more towards both. And then when they ended, I had no car payment. And at that point, I'm like, oh my God, this is such a relief. Well, actually the immediate reaction is I'm going to get a new car. But you have to stop with that. You have to stop the cycle of car loans. You need to think, okay, you know, do I need this fancy ass car to impress people I don't even know? Does it really matter what the hell you're driving in? As long as it gets you, you know, to work or wherever the hell you gotta go, who gives a crap what it looks like? Yeah, when you're young, I get it. You wanna impress girls, this and that. But the kind of girls that will only date you for your car, just think about that for a second. Um, you know, one that'll date you no matter what you drive, you know, whatever hoop do you freaking can afford at 17, 18 years old, if she's still willing to date you, that's the kind of girl you honestly want to marry. Not some freaking gold digger looking at your Audi or Mercedes saying, damn, nice ass car. Meanwhile, you're drowning in debt for that stupid car. So was it worth that stupid date? Probably not. Anyway, um, I wanted to make a video to talk about car loans, you know, in general, and how they're stupid. And I want people that are listening to this video to rethink, because I'm guessing 90% of you still have a car loan, right? Whether it's just got a car or it's almost paid off, you probably have somewhat of a car loan. And I don't want to hear my car loan's only $200 or $300. That's money going out the window. You're paying the bank money to drive your stupid car. Not to mention, you have to pay for fixes, you know, for maintenance. Because God knows if you got a damn extra warranty, it never covers what's needed. Or what's the other thing they sell? The gap insurance? Oh my God, just enough. Then you hear people say, oh, my guy will hook you up. No, he won't. Your guy will freaking loan rape me. So, you want to find a dealer who sells cars for cheap. Obviously, you need car fox, fax, whatever the hell it is. Not many people are handy with cars, so it's hard to buy a used car that's, you know, that you think is going to be reliable. But you have a lot of information out there now. So, you know, when you're 16 years old, you get a job. You gotta think about that. Start saving up for your first car early. Or maybe your parents have a fund, you know, your savings account already built up for you. Don't go crazy, just buy something simple that'll get you from point A to point B. You don't need to be 
like half these kids out there nowadays, 18 years old or 20 years old, got a freaking brand new BMW. Do you understand the cost of maintenance for those cars? I do. I was a dumbass who bought an Audi TT. Oh my goodness. The car was pretty sweet, but the maintenance on that car, oh, terrible. I brought it to the Audi dealership and the dealer I bought it from. It got to a point where no one even could even fix the problem at one point, but I was paying at my ass in fixes. And I didn't even get to pay off the loan before I had to get rid of the damn car. And then I rolled over that loans into the, the new loan um, of the new car, which is the car I'm driving right now. It's a 2008. And that car payment was $400 for six years. That sucked. But it's been paid off for quite some time. It's a beat up car. It does what it needs to. I commute 40 miles one way. So I'm, I, I'm driving this into the ground. I hope I hit 200, maybe even 250,000 miles. Bring it. I'm loving this. I, I used to think, okay, I'm going to hit 100,000, get a new car. Nope. <clears throat> I have different goals. My goals are now to see how many miles I can reach in this car without, um, you know, paying too much in maintenance and more than what the car is worth. But <clears throat> anyway, the moral of the story is you don't need a car loan. Just really, really, really think about it. I know. I need a reliable car to get to work. I need a reliable car. I have kids. But you're not driving this piece of crap that you can afford forever. You're driving it so you don't have a loan. And then the income, meanwhile, that would normally go to the car loan is saved for a better car later on. And so on and so forth. And that money is your money. You're not paying out to you know these stupid lenders. Um, you know whatever and not to mention all these other damn fees you get from a car dealer I don't even know but the longer you can drive your car the better um, so stop impressing people nobody cares what you have at the red light nobody wants to race you anymore what's the point of racing to get a damn ticket yeah it's fun I mean you know driving a sports car is fun I know but you gotta understand what your priorities should be you don't want to work your entire life to your debt want to be smart with your money and it starts when you're young and it starts with a car it's one of the first purchases people get and if they started out right start young you know make good decisions then they'll probably make good decisions the rest of their life because again when you get paid you want to enjoy your income you don't want to give it to this to that to the other thing rent and mortgage is one thing that's pretty much you know and obviously utilities you're gonna have that, you know, near most of your life, but you know, again, a mortgage is a big purchase, so it's gonna take a while to pay that off. But a car, you can get any car for any amount. So figure out what you can afford, pay it in cash. Did you ever pay a car in cash? Me neither, but I'm hoping to on my next one when I need it. Anyway, um, seriously, re rethink car loans. And don't tell me you need it. You deserve a new car. You don't. You deserve to pay a car in cash. That's what you deserve. Deserve no loans, no car loans. How does that feel? No car loan. I don't even. I'm numb to it now. I've had no car loan for so long, but I can't even imagine um, ever getting a car loan. I'm selling all my stocks out before I have to take out a car loan. So that's how dedicated I am. Anyway, bro, 
Smoke Investor out. Hope you enjoyed this short little podcast talking about car loans. And I took, hope you take some of this um, advice. All right. Off to work in my piece of crap car. Later.